Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome to Skylit. This is a Skylight Books podcast, and I'm your host, Lance Morgan. Today, we're welcoming Kim Adonisio to read from her new book of poems, Now We're Getting Somewhere. She'll be in conversation with her daughter, Aya Cash. Before I introduce them, I just want to remind you that Skylight Books offers curbside pickup and online ordering on our website, www.skylightbooks.com. We, can, we also have a limited in-store browsing from 11 to 7 on weekdays and 10 to 8 on weekends. So stop by, but don't forget to wear your masks and to be social distanced from others. Kim Adonizio is the author of eight poetry collections, two novels, two story collections, and two books on writing poetry, The Poet's Companion with Dorianne Lowe, and Ordinary Genius. Her poetry collection, Tell Me, was a finalist for the National Book Award, and her 2016 collection, Mortal Trash, won the Patterson Poetry Prize. Adonisio's awards include fellowships from the National Endowment for the Arts and the Guggenheim Foundation, among other honors. She lives in Oakland, California. Aya Cash is an actress best known for starring as Gretchen Cutler in the FX, FXX dark comedy, You're the Worst, and as Stormfront in the prime video superhero drama series, The Boys. She was nominated for the Critics' Choice Television Award for Best Actress in a Comedy Series and the TCA Award for Individual Achievement in Comedy for the former. Hello, Kim and Aya. It's so amazing to have you both here today. I'm so excited about this podcast. Right. No problem at all. Kim, you have a reading for us? Or both of you have a reading for us, right? Yes, we do. Yeah. Perfect. All right. I, I, did, did you mention we're mother and daughter? In that? I, I, I think I did in the intro. I said, yeah, I said daughter, I had cash. And oh my God, it's just so exciting to have this mother-daughter duo. I think you're you- the- Yes, if you could see us on Zoom, um, you'd think sisters. Sisters, no, for sure. I'd be like, you guys are just like, sis, you guys you should, I think like we should pitch this to CBS, right? I've got my little Zoom filter on, so that helps, you know? Well, I mean, we all, don't we all, at this point, don't we all just have like 80 filters on us at all times? Um, <laughs> Uh, a potato for my <laughs> the potato one I mean that's a goal so a solid um, filter all right so I'm gonna let you guys take it away with the reading and I'm just gonna sit here and enjoy great thanks hi honey hi <laughs> nice to see you I miss you I miss you too um yeah, I, I think I think what would be great. Um, oh, and and a, a new thing is that I just won a Critics Choice Superhero Award, 
for best actress in a superhero series. So uh, your mom gets to brag on you on that Thanks, one. mom. <laughs> so, um, so great. And also Aya is doing some writing and has just published an essay in a book called, what's it called? Notes from it's the called, Bathroom. It's called Notes from the Bathroom Line, yeah. Yeah, which is a collection of um, um, women, a lot of comedians, right? A lot of funny women writing about their experiences. Yeah. In that book, we also have available Ad Skylight books featured right now, actually. So pick up a copy. Oh, fantastic. Great. Great. You should hear. put them next to each other. Have have a little two for yeah, grab back. <laughs> we'll put it like a featured, like, oh my God, I love it. We'll put, I feel like we should have a photo of you two back to back for that. That'd be perfect, right? Yeah. Like something from the 80s, like the glamour shots. Yes, of course. Uh, so um, I'd love to hear you read some of your essay, Aya, to get us oh, started. I'm going first. Okay. All right. I'm going to read um, a little over half of it. I think we'll get in in time. So my essay is called Skin. Relax, just relax, relax, relax. You're laid out like a corpse, nude form on a slab. Be in your body. Your foot is against her soft belly, the exposed skin between her underwear and bra. She's scrubbing your inner thigh. Remember when you brought that friend here and her masseuse punched her rhythmically in the vagina? You hope you don't get punched in the vagina. Is she thinking about the shape of your vulva? Do she and the other women at the spa compare notes after work, stripping off their soaked bras and recounting the day's pussies? You remember when you learned your vagina was something to be worried about, that labia could be too long, that it needed to be bare, that you had to eat pineapple to make it smell good or boys would talk about you after school while playing video games and smoking weed. She's laughing now and saying skin, pointing to the gray lumps left on the table. Is this intimacy? She's literally been skinning you. Does it make her feel close to you or is she repulsed? You suppose in all jobs, strange things normalize after repetition. You can't shake the feeling that she's looking at your untoned figure, thinking skinny fat, what that anonymous internet troll wrote under the article about you. But maybe that's you thinking it, searching for confirmation of your grotesqueness. You know her name, Deborah but she doesn't seem to remember you. You've been here before, but neither of you ever acknowledged that this isn't the first time she's flayed you. Enjoy this. You wonder if she's surprised by your tattoo when she flipped you over your water, when she flipped over your water pickled body. If she thought tramp stamp, seeing the large hawk spread across your lower back, talons clutching your upper cheeks, a remnant of a former you the one who pierced her nipples and drank Old English and went to raves. She must recognize you now. The bird would jog her memory. She's talking loudly, explaining something to a colleague over the divider. She's probably laughing about how pale you are with a roadmap of veins that flow beneath your translucent skin. She's probably asking who would get a giant bird tattoo to guard her anus like a gatekeeper. She's probably, oh, She's just asking for another towel. You can see another stripped body fuzzy through the glass. Is that other naked woman having a good time? Is that body blissed out? There's something wrong with you. Be soothed. Now Deborah is slapping you, politely like a new lover. 
She gives you the massage that comes with the scrub, the one you don't want, the one that hurts. Maybe she doesn't really want to give it either. Maybe it pains her fingers to push so hard, but she thinks you want it. She mistakes your silence for pleasure, just like that boy in college you faked orgasms for. Silence to climax in three, two, one. Do not fake an orgasm here. You will be kicked out of the spa for funny business. There are plaques all over the locker room saying so, but no specific definition of the term. You're fairly confident that sudden loud moaning may qualify. Be in your body, be in your body. Does she think you won't tip well because you're young? Are you young? You still feel like a teen. You wait for people to say, but you're too young to, even though that's not really true anymore, is it? You just auditioned to play the mother of a 14 year old and the wife of a man in his fifties. Maybe she thinks you won't tip well because you're poor, but you're not poor anymore either, even though you still can't seem to shake the famine mentality, the fear of being kicked out of nice places. You're still uncomfortable walking into pricey clothing stores. You assume they think you're stealing even though you never really did that. Your friends in middle school stole hundreds of dollars worth of CK1 so they could smell like hormonal urine, but you were too scared to, even though you desperately wanted to smell the same as the, they did. The massage is thorough, but fast. She confirms each muscle exists, but has no curiosity about any of them. The contact is personal, but not erotic, efficient. As an actor, you are also paid to touch strangers without getting turned on or turning others on, at least the others in the room. It should look sexy, but not feel sexy. A trick, yet somehow you all end up on YouPorn or Xtube next to the real sex videos. <laughs> oh, what can I say? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I love it. I, you know, people, seem to call me a poet here you are vagina vulva orgasm <laughs> it's well, really funny too i don't think pussy was a bad word in our house <laughs> <laughs> um yeah there's there's more but that's about all i'm gonna read for now <laughs> great great it's it's great to hear it i'm gonna read um i'm gonna read two or three poems from this new book now we're getting somewhere and uh, and then we'll chat. So uh, this is the first poem in the book. It's called Night in the Castle. And maybe I, I'll just read the epigraphs to the book too, because I think they kind of, you know, there's no real um, representative poem, but I think that the poems sort of circle around the two poles that are mentioned in the epigraph. And one is Leonard Cohen, everybody knows the captain lied. And the other is Elizabeth Taylor, pour yourself a drink, put on some lipstick and pull yourself together. So that might give you some idea of the, the twin concerns the book kind of bounces around in. Uh, this is Night in the Castle. I'm not sure what to do about that scorpion twitching on the wall. Maybe I should slam it with this book of terrible poetry or just read aloud to it until it dies of a histrionic metaphor bleeding out on the ancient stones in a five-octave aria. If I get a little drunker, I might try to murder it with my sandal. I gave up on mercy a while ago. That's what happens when you live in a castle on an artist's grant. You look at the late afternoon Umbrian light smearing itself over the tomato vines, 
and feel entitled, like an underage duchess whose husband has finally died of gout, leaving her free for more secret liaisons with the court musician. She might even have poisoned the duke, the lecherous shit. It's hard to remember what life is like before this, and I don't want to. I want to stay here and poison the king next. I want to be a feared and beloved queen, ordering up fresh linens and beheadings, locking up bad poets in their artisanal hair shirts, torturing academics with pornographic marionette performances. Meanwhile, the scorpion is still there, twitching slightly, reciting something about violence and the prison of ego, and I can hear the clashing armies on the wide lawn outside, sinking down into history and then standing up again. Um, and this one, I'll read this one called Telepathy and then maybe one more quick one. This is Telepathy. I don't know if telepathy has ever been proved or disproved, but when I go out with a friend and there's a man by himself, I feel him. Something goes out from me, little threads of energy, my invisible feelers begin waving, my third eye on its stalk turns slowly. And if I've entered the circle of his awareness where his pancakes are shrinking from his bacon or his beer is wetting itself, what messages are drifting into his hair? Like cat dander, like oversharing fortunes from insecure fortune cookies, I am not a strong, independent person experiencing life to the full. I never learn from my mistakes. Maybe you could be one of them. Men like to say they're not mind readers, but the ones I'm drawn to aren't readers at all. Their thought balloons are full of dick pics, floating toward the ceiling and slowly deflating like their interest in me. Maybe telepathy is bunk, but magic sure isn't. I remember a man who liked to dress me up then saw me in half, and I stood up smiling and bowing. And then this last one is, um, is one that seems to have gone a bit viral on the internet. Uh, viral poetry, <laughs> a vi viral poetry I think is probably pretty different from, um, you know, a, the, a, an actor's viral experience. Um, but here's, here's mine. It's called To the Woman Crying Uncontrollably in the Next Stall. If you ever woke in your dress at 4 a.m., ever closed your eyes to someone you loved, opened them for someone you didn't, moved against a pillow in the dark, stood miserably on a beach, seaweed clinging to your ankles, paid good money for a bad haircut, backed away from a mirror that wanted to kill you, bled into the back seat for lack of a tampon. You swam across the river under rain, sang using a dildo for a microphone, stayed up to watch the moon eat the sun entire, ripped out the stitches in your heart, because why not? If you think nothing and no one can, listen, I love you. Joy is coming. So, um, yeah. Uh, and and uh, part of the story of that poem is that there was a woman in, in the UK who heard a woman crying next to her in the bathroom. And for some reason, she had my poem on her phone and she whipped it out and read it to this woman. And and then it turned out and then they got to talking and it turned out that the woman's mother had died. 
And that's why she was crying and she was so grateful for this little moment of kindness. And, and then the woman wrote about it and I don't know, somebody picked it up and it kind of spread around. But, um, but I, I loved just knowing that that poem brought some solace to a stranger somewhere, you know, and, and knowing that someone heard those words and it, and it made him feel better, which is one of the beautiful things that art can do and poetry can do. I think it's pretty, uh, you know, thinking about the intimacy of reading and, um, and the job of a writer who writes something alone and then someone may read it alone and be experiencing something that happened in a different time. And you talk a lot about Keats in your book um, in this new one and, and your relationship with Keats. Uh, and I think that's really interesting that like through time and through space, uh, writing sort of connects people and lets them into the same experience, which I think is so cool. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and into their own sort of private experience with what you've done. So it really is, it's, it's so interesting and odd the way things go out in the world. But I think it's the same as an actor, right? I mean, you do something on a screen and, and then it's preserved in some way. And then you go on and rock on into your life. And then there's this version of you hanging around somewhere that is, is still in that moment that anybody watches, um, you know, a film or a show you're in, they are, they are having a, an experience with you too, that you aren't actually present for. So, but it's, but, but it's your work. It feels like we're both, uh, or actors and writers are, are somehow ghosts haunting in some way. They're, they're remnants uh, yeah. left over. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, when, when I knew we were going to do this um, podcast, and and, um, and thank you, Skylight Books, by the way, really happy to be here. I've, I've read for you before and been in your store and love it and, um, and can't wait to be able to go back there to Skylight. So um, thanks for having us. And, and as I was thinking about, you know, what, what we might talk about and what we have talked about together, you know, over the years and phone calls as we've both kind of found or, or gone in our artistic paths and, and gone out into the world. Um, I was thinking about my aha moments in poetry when I really just got, you know, blown back and gobsmacked, as the Brits would say, over, um, over a poem. And I, I was around, I think, 28 years old at the time and hadn't really read any poetry. And, and suddenly I went, oh, my God, what is this? This is amazing stuff. And I want to do this. And I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, and I would just go to bookstores and find, first you have to look for the poetry section usually, but I would get, I would find it. And then I would just pick books based on their covers and, and, uh, and start discovering things, you know, before I went to school and kind of learned some things about how poems are made. But I knew, right, I, somehow I, at that moment, I really kind of got struck with like, this is my path. And I wonder if you had a moment like that, because when when you were younger and uh, your dad and I were looking for high schools for you, uh, all the public high schools in the city seemed to have gangs. And we were trying to figure out where you could go. And School of the Arts in San Francisco uh, seemed like uh, not only a, a safe safer place for you, but a very cool place for you. But you had to audition to get in. And I remember saying to you, what do you want to do, baby, sing, dance or act? 
And I thought you would choose singing because you, you have a beautiful voice and you were in the girls' chorus for many years in San Francisco. And you said, Mom, I want to act. I thought, really? That's so interesting. And so I wonder, did you know then or, or was there a later moment that you suddenly went, this is it for me. This is really going to be my, my life. Because um, I don't think I, we've obviously never interviewed each other or um, done anything in like a public sphere. And, and the way memory works is obviously so different. And yet we both are going to be accountable to each other for our memories, right? Because we both lived the same uh, yeah. thing. And my memory is that my best friend, Tiffany, in middle school uh, was auditioning to be an actor at Soda. And so when you said, what do you want to do? I just thought I'd do what Tiffany was doing. Mm -hmm. And then Tiffany ended up not going to Soda and I, I did. So it was, it was kind of arbitrary. I don't remember thinking like, I want to do acting as a career. It was more like, oh, this sounds cool. And I was sort of sick of girls chorus. Uh, it was feeling it was a great organization, but I, w I was feeling stifled by it. It's a lot, um, you know, I was sort of becoming a teenager and individuality was really important. In the girls' course, it was all about uniformity. So I wanted to do something that could be more of an individual as well. And that's how I started. I think the real aha moment was actually um, just doing Shakespeare. And, and I just had so much fun doing Shakespeare that I was like, maybe I could do this for my life. Yeah, and you won the you won the statewide competition, I think twice and went to New York for the finals for the Shakespeare competition. And um, and I remember you being really just so in love with Shakespeare and so involved um, in doing some of those plays. Although my, my dad has a memory of me watching Star Trek Next Generation at like age 12 and pointing the TV and saying, I'm gonna do that someday with like complete certainty. And he says, that's when he knew I was gonna be an actor. And I maintain that could have been about space travel. And I still maintain that could be about space travel. That's great, that's great. Uh, well, you know, I was certain I wanted to be a nun when I was seven. <laughs> somehow, somehow I lost my faith along the way and uh, no, one's, no one's calling me Sister Kim. <laughs> you had a lot of jobs though I mean when I was growing up you had so many different jobs for you know you were writing but you were also I remember you worked at an auto body shop like doing their books for a while right yeah I worked in an auto parts store for a long time yeah I mean there there were so many different just thinking about you know people only see oh you have however many books you have out like 15 at this point and um i just remember growing up how many how many odd jobs that you worked that uh to to support your writing habit yeah yeah i, I that's true i mean i spent a lot of years just you know doing doing jobs not having a career but doing jobs from waitressing to all kinds of other things and and of course you went moved to new york after you got your um, BFA at the Guthrie in Minnesota, you moved to New York and you were a waitress for a long time in New York. Yeah. yeah. I didn't mind waitressing though. I really liked the um, interaction with people and the, the sort of game of the tip, which our country should not, that's not how our country should work. But uh, I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed waitressing. 
Yeah, I did too, actually. And I always thought in the back of my mind, well, if if writing doesn't really work out and I'm, I get stuck again, I'm going to just, you know, move to a quiet, cheap place and, and uh, you know, waitress at a cafe somewhere and have a big dog. And that was yeah. sort of my dream of later life that, you know, I could always go and, and be a waitress somewhere. And, yeah. uh, but now I'm, now I'm glad I don't have to be. Yeah, me too. But it's also, it's a different, you know, there's so much rejection in both of our businesses. There's something um, uh, that is very honest about showing up and making money and going home without uh, letting it uh, sort of, the rejection of this business makes the rest of the business feel very personal sometimes. I mean, woe is me, everything's great, but there is, um, there's, there's something about the separation of money and art that is also, um, I, I can be nostalgic for probably only because I am able to support myself now through my art, which is yeah. a gift, but I, I am also nostalgic for. Yeah, I know. It's, it's such a weird mixed bag, the way that money and art works in our culture. And it's, and it's so tough, you know, I mean, it's so tough for so many people in the arts. I mean, of course, now it's been crazy, you know, um, and all that. Um, but always, I think, you know, that's, that's the, you know, so many of my students, uh, you know, when we, they say, well, you know, how do I, you know, should I do this? Should I get an MFA? Should I go to school? How, how should I basically, yeah, support my writing? And, and there's no good answer, you know, it's like, yeah, you're probably going to have to do something else to support your writing, whatever that is. And, um, and even musicians, you know, musicians, their, their money now comes from touring and merch for the most part, you know, if they even get to that stage of touring and, you know, because you can't make money as an artist per se, a lot of times you don't really get paid for what you would like to be getting paid for and like to be doing. Um, that was but, like the biggest gift that I feel like you gave me growing up though, is, is there wasn't a focus on, um, it, it, the idea of being an artist did not mean that you had to be making crap loads of money from it. Like you could be an artist and be successful as an artist without it translating to lots of money, which I think people who grow up in families that aren't um, in the arts, there's a sense of, well, how are you going to make a living? I feel like you gifted me the, you'll figure it out. You'll, you'll just, you'll work because that's what you do to support the thing you love. And, and that was, so I took the pressure off myself to, you know, come out of school and get on TV or Broadway. It was very much like you, you get to still be an artist, um, even if it's not the thing paying your bills. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I just, yeah, I wasn't like hoping you would go to law school, which is what my mother wanted for me. You know, she would always say, Kimmy, you're so smart. Why don't you become a lawyer? Or why don't you write romance novels? They sell. <laughs> We're going to talk about some of the other writing you've done for money, Mama. <laughs> Um, I think you could tell some embarrassing stories that maybe <laughs> you don't want to go there. <laughs> All right, if you don't want to go there. All I'm saying is there may be some anonymous stories written for, for cash in interesting publications. No, I, th I think there was actually only only one. I wasn't I wasn't writing porno novels on the slide. <laughs> but, uh, 
But yeah, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> hey, this is what they're here for, Mom. We got to give them the. <laughs> I'm gonna. I, I'm doing a reading tonight to launch my books at City Lights, or to launch this book at City Lights, and uh, and I told my friends, okay, if you tell any stories about me, these are the ones you can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> I got no such I got no such decree so. and obviously I should have I should have told you I should have no. yeah well you know we we know each other's secrets or some of them anyway right because definitely I, I just had a lot of faith in you you know I, I I saw that you were really smart and really committed and uh, I just thought that whatever you put your mind to you would you would get somewhere with you know whatever that was i i didn't i'm not sure i expected this although i did try to nail down my my seat acting i made you pro i hope you remember that that i made you promise that if you ever got nominated i know you can take one person and that you were gonna have to take me <laughs> i love that you've just nominated me for an academy award you're like you're i never pictured this <laughs> <laughs> Let's be clear, listeners. I'm very far from fulfilling that um, that promise. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Never know. That's you the never thing. know. Life is surprising in so many ways. But you have had wonderful success, and um, you know, I've just been so so proud that I get to walk around and and talk about you and um, and and be so proud. You know that you're this lovely young woman in the world who's Oh, I'm just gonna go on here. <laughs> so beautiful, and you're we'll so cut happy. all this. We can cut all this. <laughs> uh, we also haven't seen each other. Um, like, I mean, obviously we're over Zoom, but you know, we haven't been in the same room in in over a year, year I and know, a half. The last time I saw you was January 2019, mm -hmm. when we took that trip to Sonoma and went thrifting. I think it was 2020. I think it was Sonoma. Was uh, it in, in 2020? Right before the right before this right, all started. Right yeah. So, so that's a year. That's over a year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you know all what? Right, back on track. <laughs> back to back to art. Back to art <laughs> and acting. Um, but I, you know, I did want to read you this quote by Francis McDormand because it was so <laughs> interesting to me, and um, and it really connected to some stuff you and I have been talking about. Um, about persona and she said this um i guess this is from an article about her i think it was in the times for most of her life mcdormand has been fascinated by the formula through which one concocts a self-image how much does it have to do with authenticity and to what extent is it constructed by playing pretend and she said i would say probably fifth grade is the first time I can remember, oh, I know what they think I am and I'm going to subvert it. And I, I feel you and I do kind of similar things as an actor and a writer. Um, we inhabit characters and people conflate you with the role you play and conflate me with the poems I write. And I really believe poetry is a kind of fiction and, and the page is a stage in a sense, you know, that I step onto and create a character who's both me and not me, which is why it's so interesting. It's so mixed. And, um, and you know, people are always mistaking my work for just straight autobiographical stuff. And I think that's a way that um, 
critics, sometimes especially male critics, can be dismissive of women's art because they see it as artless in some way or less valuable. You know, whether that's the subjects we write about or 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 for actors, you know, just the, the roles that you that you end up playing. I know when you started out, you were you were a prostitute and then you were another prostitute and then you then you I remember um, your uncle Gary um, had a tennis pupil who was um, who was kind of following you in those early days. And we were saying, oh, she got this little part here and there. And uh and when Gary told him about this role, he exploded and he said, another whore? <laughs> because those were the roles that you got. These, you know, it was, it was always kind of based on sexuality. Mm. And, that, and, then, and then in a parallel way, in my writing, male critics often just focus on the sexuality. And mm. that's what they want to talk about and write about. And they want to ignore everything else around that they want to ignore the poems they want to ignore the the other aspects of the work and the craft of the work and i think it's a way of being ultimately of being dismissive of of what you're up to yeah and i just want to preface this with um there there is nothing wrong with sex work it's more that the roles uh of sex workers are simply for the pure gratification of the male gaze (laughs) and that's why there's so many young female roles where we play prostitutes because that we that's what men are interested in seeing as young women in sexual situations right Um, if they had been more interesting roles it might feel like a different thing to play a sex worker Um, But yeah, no, it's really fascinating to have, and you and I have talked about how we both do it to others, even though we know better, that like when you know uh, that I am not the characters I play because I'm your daughter, but then you see another actor and you immediately feel like you know something about who they are based on who they've played. And I feel the same about writing is because... um, because it's intimacy, both are, are intimate acts of watching someone, even looking at someone's face so closely as you do on a screen is an intimate act that we don't often allow others in real life. So it changes your feeling about someone. I remember doing an acting exercise in high school where I had to close my eyes and let someone stare at my face for a long period of time as a way to build closeness. And so there is that, Uh, act of watching someone that makes you feel like as if you know them and also in terms of reading there's this intimate often solitary act that you and 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 um, experience that you have with a book and therefore a writer that you think you know who they are Um, and uh, it's I always think it's even more so for writers because it's uh, it's purely a self-generated thing versus I am saying somebody else's lines when I am acting. Um, so I can I can claim more distance in that way. Um, but it's like confusing. Sometimes it's, it's lovely. Sometimes it's um, a, a really lovely interaction with someone who feels like they know something about you and they do know something. It's not that they know nothing, they know something and they're having an experience uh, of you and that can be a nice interaction, but then it can also be a a very confusing interaction because you 
both want to let them have that moment, but also clarify <laughs> that you are not the thing, you are not only the thing that they have decided you are, which I think applies to all of life, by the way. I mean, I think we make assumptions about people having no idea who they are or what is going on in their life based on outward signifiers. So it's just, it's like a, but it's a blown up version of that. Yeah, yeah, all the time. I think that's why I just res responded to that McDormand quote, you know, about being in the fifth grade and sort of like people looking at you and thinking they know who you are. And that, the, and yeah, that happens in life all the time. And there's just something about, you know, if your, if your art, whether that's the art of acting or the art of writing has, has touched someone in some way, then yeah, it, it just creates this sort of connection between you. But but who is it that they're connecting to, you know? And it and it is and it isn't you. And I, I just find that so fascinating and interesting. Well, and can you, you know, when you play different characters or you write from different voices, that can be complicated because people are assuming that it is all you. And I think the, um, the thing that artists do are they play in empathy that we, we are, uh, like part of our job is to put ourselves in the uh, minds and hearts of other people and in their experience in order to try to say something about the world about. And uh, so when you're playing someone that you violently disagree with and, you know, obviously playing someone that you, you think is doing wrong or a villain or someone that you don't believe the same things as what they're saying or you're writing from the perspective, it, it can be confusing because people just assume that that is you as opposed to a, a character that you're inhabiting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um... I remember when I was on a, um, a plane at age five, for some reason, I think I was alone on the plane. Maybe I was going to visit grandma in DC and bad mother, bad mother was, I, I couldn't have let you on a plane alone when you were five. That sounds terrifying. All right. Well, the story is better if I was five, because it means I was smarter, more precocious, but I remember being young and I was on a plane. I love that. I called her grandma as if I've ever called champy grandma. I, <laughs> my, I know. my grandmother was called champy. Yeah. Um, but note, uh, note to listeners, <laughs> um, I as grandma, my that does sound weird in my mouth too. My mother was a was a champion tennis player, and she did not want to be called grandma. So the alternate name that she came up with, or some, or maybe you came up with, was Champy. And oh, it was so definitely her. Champy. What? It was definitely her. It was her. Okay, Champy. Champion. So you're uh, on the plane. You're you're five years old, or or very young. Whatever doesn't make you look bad. <laughs> it, I, I remember thinking I am going to ring. I know I'm not supposed to press this button, but I'm going to do it anyway because I can get away with it because I know that I'm young. Like the, the doing the things that you, anyway, the Francis McDormand thing, thinking about craft, you know, understanding somebody's perspective and being able to shift it um, is, is interesting. And playing yeah. with that perspective. Yeah. Yeah, you you have a whole section in your book uh, called um, called uh, confessional poetry that mm -hmm. I thought was interesting. That sort of touches a little bit on <laughs> on the 
I think you've been accused of confessional poetry or that label has been put on you. And I find that section very funny. I forget how, you know, you don't, you are, you don't lead with, uh, with comedy in your life. Like, I don't feel like you are a joke teller or uh, neither am I. Um, and then I read your books and I just laugh out loud. I mean, it's I am so funny in life. I am, I am, I swear. You're all right. <laughs> um, no, it's sort of like me. I, I ended up in comedy, but I am not a comedian and I have, you know, good comedic timing or, or whatever uh, nice thing I want to say about myself, but I, I, uh, I'm not a comedian, and um, but I can be funny in comedy. And there's something similar. I feel like there, you just have such dark, such so so funny. I said to Josh today, I um, my husband, you know, because I've been reading uh, your new book. And I just, I, I read one poem and I looked up and I said, my mom is the best writer ever. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really fun too, to talking about persona. You know, I know you in a certain, um, in a certain role. I know you as my mother. And I, of course I know what a brilliant artist you are. And, and, but I continually, am reminded when I get to read your work because I forget just how bonkers good <laughs> you are. I mean, you just, you just like grab me and fling me around with your writing. It is so beautiful. And it's so, um, it's just such a, a wonderful thing. I'm like, why, why don't I read your books all day, every day? Probably because I couldn't handle that. But, <laughs> but, um, but I just, I'm so appreciative that, that, um, that I get to experience your work and, and I'm able to do that without, um, without immediately thinking mom, 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 which is unusual because it's very hard to get out of those dynamics with somebody. Um, and I can really appreciate your work just as an artist. Will you just blurb my next book, please? <laughs> <laughs> Unknown D-list actress, Aya Cash. <laughs> Not at all. You are the most, well, I, I've, I've already praised you and I praise you all the time and you know I love you and, and I also think you are quite a brilliant artist and it's it's wonderful for me because, you know, I would watch you and think, okay, do I think this because I'm her mom or do I think this because she's really that good? And I finally decided, no, no, you're really that good. <laughs> I mean, you know, so I, I, I just return the compliment. I love watching you act and I just love to see what you do with a role and um, and what happens, you know, and how you just, I, you know, when you played Stormfront, I mean, I was watching, you know, you don't come in until I think the end of the second or third episode in, in, in the series. Um, first episode, but end of the first episode. End of the first episode. Okay, well, it felt like a long time because I was waiting for you to appear on screen. I knew <laughs> you were in the show, you know, and, and, and I just felt like the whole screen lit up when you came on because it was so, you were so intense and so good in that role. And, and I just thought, oh my God, this is amazing. And I'm glad that, you know, other people saw that too and, and recognized it. Um, all right, let's get off our, our love. Okay. Our mutual, our mutual that down. Um, don't make us sound like self-congratulatory. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should just cut this out of the podcast. And 
Um, all right, more about art. Uh, well, I, I, I wanted to mention, um, going back to, to reading, that you and I have tried to start a, a mommy-daughter book club for several years now, us being the, the mother and daughter in it. And, and for some reason, you are a great reader. You read all the time. You read a lot more than I do anymore. And yet, when I am reading, you and I are never reading the same thing. And, um, and so that's interesting that, you know, you, you just have a really wide range of literary tastes that I, um, I, I wish I, I could concentrate on reading and I partly it's this pandemic, you know, I think I read one Graham Greene novel, the entire pandemic. Mm -hmm. I listened to a lot of books though, so that's okay. But finally we ended up, we, we found one. Finally, we both read, um, Rebecca Solnit. Yeah. the far away nearby which is all about the pleasures of breeding so mm -hmm. it was kind of great to finally read the same thing get a chance to talk about it together yeah when i talk about um when i talk about the reader and um the writer i am most likely paraphrasing all my internalized rebecca solnit <laughs> um <laughs> i think she's such a brilliant writer and it's fun to share that with you i think i also i read a lot of novels and I feel like you've been less in a novel phase. Um, and so me trying to convince you to pick up the latest novel I've been reading has been um, harder. Uh, and I wonder, I, I go through, I don't know if, how you feel about this, but John, I go through phases of, of fiction, nonfiction, poetry, spirituality. Like I, I get sort of in a, in a zone on one thing and I, I'm less interested in, in reading anything else for a little while. Um, I don't tend to read all over the place. I, I tend to read in chunks. Right. Yeah, I do that too. And it's a lot based on, on what I'm writing or trying to write. So if I'm in a poetry mode, I'm pretty much not reading any other kind of writing. I'm trying to just read a lot of poetry and get triggered in some way and, and, you know, whatever that does in my brain somewhere and I don't want to let other influences in and then when I'm writing um, like when I wrote Bukowski in a sundress which is a memoir in essays about the writing life um, I was I was reading essays you know I was just reading nonfiction and collections of essays and trying to figure out how to write an essay and 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 figure out subject matter and find the story in some experience I had had and so it was, it, for me, it's really all about just, you know, trying, trying to put more, more information into my brain that, that my brain will then take and do something with somehow, you know, and, and, uh, and so it's really important to sort of just immerse myself in a particular form that I'm trying to work in and, and let it by osmosis get into me in some way and, and learn from it. But do you do that with acting at all? I mean, do you do you watch people act and think, oh, I just really don't want to see everything they've everything they've done, and or or do you feel that that's not helpful for you? I tend to I can't watch bad acting while I'm working on something because it makes me feel like a bad actor. Like it, it's like seeing something go wrong. Like if I watch a show where I don't think the acting is good, I start to go to set going what is acting? This is weird. This is weird, right? Like, what are we doing? This is all awkward and fake. Um, and so I, I try not to watch any, like, I, I like my, um, I like my trash shows reality versus trashy uh, because 
uh, trashy fiction because it that makes me self-conscious for some reason. But no, I watch so much more drama than I do comedy that um, I'm always doing comedy and watching some like really dark, horrible thing where people barely speak and it's all in a look. And then I go to set and I go, you know, it's not, um, uh, but I, but it's not really a, a conscious thing. I use music sometimes with acting. Like I'll end up listening to an album when I'm playing a character. I'll get sort of attached to an album that I'll, but I also do that in real life where if I'm, I, I, I actively will try to memorize moments in life to remember them in 20 years. You know, I'll sort of take a snapshot that, and I've been doing that since I was a kid. And I also find music really helps that to like bring you back to a space. So like if I'm even on a vacation, I'll tend to listen to the same song over and over again. It brings me back to that moment if I, if I want to keep it a little bit. Did but, you have a, did you have a, a particular album for Gretchen Cutler? in You're the Worst or, or, a, or a kind of music that you listen to trying to sort of inhabit her character? Gretchen was kind of all over the place because uh, the writer, we wouldn't know what was happening until we got scripts. So they would write her sort of up, down, left and right. And, and I would just go for the flow. So it was all over the place, but they also wrote a lot of music into her, meaning like, you know, Zombie by the Cranberries or One Week. I mean, I listened to One Week so many times because I had to do it. And that is a really, I, I don't even know if it's an obnoxious song, but it became a very obnoxious song to learn. Um, so there was a lot of music already built in. Um, but I'll tell you that the, the Sloth Rust song that is our opening credits uh, makes me cry on cue now. And that's what I mean about like, it, it solidifies a memory. Is that the, is that I'm gonna leave you anyway? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Leah and Sloth Rust did, did a live thing and she did an acoustic version that just like broke my heart. I hope she puts it out, um, but. Yeah, Gretchen, Gretchen sort of moved season to season. Like depression is a lot of Bonnie Vare. Um, season mm -hmm. two is a lot of Bonnie Vare. Uh, and then would, would move all over the place. I remember Pain in the Itch, which was my first like big onstage job in New York. Uh, I remember I listened to Shakira, Hips Don't Lie, like right before I went on stage every single night. <laughs> Because she was a funny, wild little character. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, and in fact, speaking of people, uh, you know, projecting or mistaking you for your character, I remember there was a moment in the show, the night that I went to see it, it was at Rattlestick, right? Rattlestick Theater? No, Playwrights Horizons. Oh, Playwrights Horizons, yeah. Um, and you said something in that Russian accent about gypsies. And I forget what it was, but it was some slam on gypsies. And this woman stood up. She was next to me, actually, in the theater. And she just yelled at you in some, probably in Russian or some Slavic language, and because she was so offended. No, it was the opposite. She was, she was so happy to see her bigoted views. She, oh, no, really? Is that what happened? The, the character that I was playing was like a very uh, ditzy, bigoted, I mean, she she talked about the Jews, she talked about, but um, also ridiculously, almost like Borat-esque 
in in her um, ridiculousness, the way she was talking about these things. And um, when that happened, I thought, oh, someone's really upset. As I and I would understand. I mean, it was the the point is that it's it's shocking what she's saying, and it turns out because she got escorted out that she was just super excited to see her herself represented on. She was oh clapping. I had no idea that that's what it was. Yep. I remember the moment. Yeah. Anyway. Great yeah. moments. Yeah. Live, live theater. I miss it so much. I, I really do. I miss going to the theater. That's the Me thing too. I miss most. Yeah. We need it back. We need yeah. it back in soon. Yep. Along with indie bookstores. In indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is our wrap up. Um, I, think it's our cue. Well, I, I mean, I don't think anyone's having as good as a morning as I'm having right now. This has been like, if you could have seen my face the entire time, I'm just like, smile. Like my cheeks are going to hurt for days now. I'm like, oh, this is so amazing. But, and if not, we can edit this out for sure. But I was wondering if I could ask you two some questions, like two quick questions. Oh. This is, first question is the question I ask all authors and writers who come on the podcast, um, because this past year has been a year, right? I mean, crazy stuff has happened, right? But is there, was there a piece of art, whether like something you watched, read, listened to, all three, that like helped, just helped you like, either like forget about it, escape, or comfort you in some way? Um, I wouldn't say it, there's, there's one thing or one piece of art. I think the thing that has comforted me most is that my friends gave me a banjo recently and I've started learning to play it. And I've played a lot of musical instruments in, in my life, you know, somewhat competently, but never, you know, mastered. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and my friends gave me a banjo and it's making me so happy. I can't tell you. So that's mine. I just, I, I play my band it, banjo and as, um, who is it, Maria Kondo, the, the yeah. Feng Shui yeah. cleanup, yeah, Sparking Joy, the thing about Sparking Joy, and that does it for me. So, um, so I guess music in general has been a lot of solace, and especially now that I'm, um, now that I've got my banjo, it's making me happy. Kim, please like invite me to your first show, like a live show, I'll be there, front row, crying, just like... <laughs> It's going to be great. I have for you. Well, I was just going to say my, my mom has a blues album, like with poetry and, uh, and blues music. And she's, I mean, my, my mom is one of the most musical people I know. My, my dad and my mom met, uh, he fixed her flute. You know oh. what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, uh, they, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they um yeah they met my dad was repairing they both played saxophone and flute my mom plays blues harmonica she uh plays uh guitar flute i mean everything uh so it's a there was always music in our household and um i i feel like that's something not a lot of people know that it's a position um i in terms of art uh um, in terms of art uh, that's helped me, it's, you know, there's probably been different things at different times. I recently watched In and of Itself, um, which is a magic show, 
on Hulu. It's a live performance show. Um, and uh, I sobbed uncontrollably. I thought that, and some, I, I feel like we have, there's like waves of um, like pushing sadness away through all this. There's been so much death and so much um, pain and seeing so many people struggle. And it's, and it's I feel like uh, it's very easy to try to build the walls up. And sometimes you just need to let it all out. So I actually go towards the things that make me cry in good ways because I feel like that's healthier. Also the mole agent, which I think just got nominated for an Oscar is a spectacular documentary um, that sounds incredibly depressing if I described it. So don't, don't, I won't describe it, but go watch it and it's not depressing. <laughs> yeah, no, that the mole agent. No, I'll, I'm definitely putting that on my list. Thank you so much. Kim, I think, was I interrupting you Kim? I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, I could say banjo more time. <laughs> no i listen after we record i might be like can you please oh no i'm joking i'm joking um my neck my and this is this is the last one um and i know we were t you guys were talking about like cutting the self-congratulatory stuff out but i if anything i'm going to like promote i'm like you guys are just your relationship is just so amazing to hear you guys talk about how much you guys love each other's career in each other and all that. So I wanted to know like, and as a last question too, I think this is a fantastic one. Kim, your daughter is like a fantastic actor, like has been in so many roles that have just like, you know, like I think of Gretchen season two, especially we're talking, you guys were talking about earlier, like how like for a lot of people that was so amazing to see on TV and kind of like affirming, how is it seeing her as this person like you get to see her as this like amazing actor with this amazing career and Aya on the flip side how is it seeing your mom as this like accomplished and fantastic writer who you you're like I'm a fan of I'm a number one fan but like for, for both of you seeing each other in this way how is that like just outside of even like talking to each other like you see each other's like in media in the news all this stuff well, I, I do Google stock Aya because she doesn't always tell me everything that's happening mm -hmm. with her career. And so I have a Google alert on her so that I can keep up. Um, and I'm just always really happy to see her successes. You know, I mean, you know, of course, you know, we, we, it's, it's all just of a piece to me, you know, because, because she's, you know, I've watched her grow up and and then she's moved away. So we don't see each other as much now. Um, and I wish we did, but that's, you know, that's sort of the way it's working. Um, but so I feel like I know all these different parts of her, you know, and, and the acting is the artist part is one part. Mm -hmm. And it's a big part. I mean, it's a very central part, I think, of both our lives, you know. So um, I just feel, you know, I just feel proud and good and of course we have no problems ever between us we have never had a fight we yeah. have never raised our voices to each other <laughs> uh you know we we used to i remember at a certain age um i you were what i think you were maybe early 20s and we couldn't spend a weekend together without getting into a big fight but it would be this kind of fight and we would yell and, and then we would end up you know by the end of it we would hug and 
and cry and say, I love you and I'm sorry and and things would be better and it would be like, okay, we've got our fight out of the way and then we would go on and have a better time for the time that we had left, you know. And and happily that has decreased, you know. We don't, we're, we're much, um, we're both maybe a little more mature now than we were then. So, um, you know, so it's great. And for me, it, it just feels really great to, um, to see this person that that somehow got brought into the world by me and her dad of course and uh and you know and be grateful you know i'm just really grateful that that you turned out so good honey <laughs> you turned out good and and i'm just proud of you so yeah i used to joke that it, it used to be how we showed love is like knock down drag out fight okay we've proven that we love each other now we can move on <laughs> um yeah no it's been easier uh, in in my 30s than it was in my 20s but I also think that's a normal thing that happens with mothers and daughters there has to be a breaking away and we were very enmeshed I mean you know I I I was so um I was just so enamored of my mom growing up my mom was the the best artist I knew the best dresser I knew the best everything I mean she was she was everything and all I wanted to do was be exactly like her and so then to become a woman in my 20s and realize our differences was hard because I was just like this is but I but I still you know wanted to be exactly like her but I'm not we're different and those those differences cause friction uh, when when they're first being identified and now luckily we I feel like we get to love each other with with more space for the love um, anyway, let's not cry. <laughs> I, um, um, in terms of seeing my mom, what's so cool is, um, you know, I get on any time I get on the subway, I'd say one out of four times I sit down in front of her poem, which is so freaking cool because she has a poem on the subway. It's like this amazing thing where I feel like it's, it's like, a little gift because I don't get to see, especially now, and I'm very rarely on the subway at this point because of the pandemic, but I do take it every once in a while. And my mother has been sitting next to me every time I've gone on the subway during the pandemic, which is crazy. Oh. And then um, I don't know if I should say about you. The yes, the about is you. about me. It's, <laughs> it's just wild. Um, so that's so cool. Or like opening the New Yorker and seeing my mother's poem. I mean, there's just so, so many things where our um, our worlds interact or my daily life without searching her out, she she comes to me. Um, or somebody, uh, back when I had Twitter, I remember people tweeting me, oh my God, I love your mom. I didn't make the connection. Or even you saying, I didn't realize that there was this connection. Um, so that's, that is so wonderful to have that happen, um, especially because we don't live in the same city. Mm -hmm. So it's like I get little little pieces of her um, throughout, even when I'm not necessarily looking. I shouldn't say this, but I will. Um, please, the city of New York or um, the subway system do not come after me because I did not do this. Someone stole a subway poem and gave it to me. <laughs> And so now I have it in my house. But now I can always sit next to it. I'm no, calling sorry. the FBI tip line. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, this is an FBI. Um, per I'm joking though. 
But you know, it's interesting. We've co- we've just come full circle because we started out by talking about the privacy and the intimacy with a stranger when you're when your your virtual self goes out into the world in all of these ways. And we've kind of come back to that where uh, your loved ones too can come come to you that way sometimes. So well, it must be a, it must be amazing to see like. And you were saying people reach out to you, Aya, about your mom all the time. And you, Kim, I bet like people talk about Aya to you all the time. And just like that connection is like kind of, you guys were talking earlier about how like there's this like idea of ghosts, like the arts being left out in the world. But also do you feel that like your relationship is kind of that too? Your relationship's now kind of this forever thing, this thing that's going to last because of how like your amazing art just like will have that impression forever yeah very meta (laughs) i'm sorry i i'm getting too meta i should that's that's me getting too meta but i think we've i think we've come to the end of our podcast this was so amazing and special like i've just i feel like i was like a little fly i'm i swear to you i was just here sitting here just smiling the entire time when the camera was off just watching you two talk it was a treat, a pleasure to be a part of this. So thank you. Fascinating to, we talk about performance of self, but to, mm-hmm. to do a, something public with yeah. your family that is a, such a private relationship normally and to be able to, you know, I, I hope we, <laughs> we no, do. I, I felt like so, I felt like in the middle of it, I should have been like, I'm so sorry for being here. This is so personal. I should get, I should like log off. This is too, this is, I, I feel like I'm intruding. Like I think when I first turned off my camera, the listeners wouldn't know when, but like was when you guys started talking. Cause I was like, this is too personal. I have to, I can't be here for this. So this has just been amazing for me to like witness. Um, and for both of you guys to be, just me being fans of both of you, just like, it's been amazing to be here. Um, Do you have any last statements or last anything you wanna tell to the independent bookstore community or the listeners, or even just Skylight booksellers who will come in and buy your books? (laughs) They will. (laughs) Um, I I just wanna say that I'm, I'm, I'm glad you guys are still around. And I'm glad a lot of bookstores are still around. Uh, uh, People probably know about bookshop.org also as a place you can go to buy books online where independent bookstores get uh, a portion. Um, They have something set up too where authors with a bookshop can get uh, a little money as well. So, um, you know, this has been such a challenging time for everyone, of course, in so many different ways because everybody's having a, actually a different experience. But um, but I think one of the good things that's come out of it is that um, things like bookshop.org where people are really recognizing, okay, we need this in our lives, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I just really want the independence to survive because there's nothing like being able to, when we can, walk into a bookstore and just look at books that call to you, which is, as I said, that's the way I became a poet, is finding books I liked by their covers and standing in a bookstore and reading something and going, this looks interesting. And then, of course, the, the booksellers, you know, you guys are amazing because you you read and you know so much and you're not an algorithm, you know, and, and when you're buying something online, you're an algorithm. And, and being a human makes a world of difference and we need everything that keeps us in touch with the human as as our world gets increasingly technological. So that's what I would say. 
Yeah, I mean, I grew up in bookstores, um, you know, sitting in the back of bookstores while my mom did readings at bookstores. And uh, I, I spent my childhood in bookstores. And, and as an adult, it's the first thing I do when I travel to a new town for work is I look up used bookstore or independent bookstore because uh, that's the place that makes me feel like I, I am safe, that I have, if there's a bookstore within walking distance of wherever I'm staying, I, I know that I'm gonna like the neighborhood. And um, I think more bookstores in more neighborhoods, I think we need uh, access to, to free libraries. We need, I mean, uh, the, those little bookstores that pop up in in a neighborhood are are how we have access to the world um, in a different way than watching a show or uh, listening to a podcast. Even it's it's a different experience to sit down and and read something and read about another world. And there's all these portals and all these books, um, and the only way to find them is is by walking in and opening up. I used to read the the first page um, of a book to decide if I want it, but I never read the last page, even when I was reading a book. Really? <laughs> so I have all these books that I've never finished because they're the last page. This is a total non sequitur. You can cut this. Um, it's so funny. But yeah, that, uh... if you go into a bookstore and you discover something. No, I was just gonna say, it's so funny you say that because like my sister right now, is hasn't finished actually you're the worst and so because she doesn't want it she doesn't want it to end <laughs> so she's um she like me and her I've, I've been like we have to watch it together we have to do this so we're watching that just for that same reason because she's like I don't want it to end so I'm not gonna watch it if I don't watch it it's still going on uh, I do that too I always slow down whether I'm watching a series or reading a book I slow down towards the end and I'll I'll, I'll just I will finish it eventually but I'll delay and delay because it's like I know when that's done, yeah. I'm gonna get ejected out of that world and I wanna stay in that world. So if I have like, oh, there's one episode left and I'm gonna save it, mm -hmm. you know, or yeah. if there's a few pages left and I'm gonna save them because I just don't wanna be kicked out of the world right. that I'm in. Yeah. I like, the, that's why I like series. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. like <laughs> multiple books, you know? Long, long, many episode series, yes. Uh, by the way, next mommy daughter book club, uh, N.K. Jemison, the um, the Broken Earth series was amazing. That's your next project. That's your next suggestion. You can send me one <laughs> later. That's I mean, actually, in one of your books that I was like, oh, this reminds me of the Broken Earth series. Ooh. Um, um, anyway. you, what's the name of that poem? I'm gonna because I'm a fan of that series too, and I would love to know which one it is. And for anyone who's listening who's a fan of that poem, I mean book. Sorry. Yeah, I marked so many. Okay, who's it? Who's it by? N.K. Jemison. Oh, okay. and I love my animals. That poem, the Walt Whitman poem, is so good. Um, oh, hot. Okay, um, High Desert, New Mexico, is the one that made me think about N.K. Jemison. Uh, I'm going to check that out immediately because I am one a fan of N.K. Jemison, whose writing can do no wrong. So. I, oof, that's amazing. But I feel like we could go on with this all day because this has just been so beautiful. <laughs> so, but, wrap us up. Wrap, I'll wrap it up. I'll got you guys. So thank you too for sharing your work with us, both of you for sharing your amazing work. Um, and for our listeners, you can buy both of these books. Um, 
you can buy um now we're getting somewhere i my brain i'm so excited guys i'm telling you now you can buy now you're getting somewhere from coming in the store and shopping or getting it buying it online at www.skylightbooks.com you can always you can also get um notes from the bathroom line at um the local bookstore which you have featured at skylight right now just come just so you know but you can also buy that online too and um thank you so much for listening and come back soon and have a beautiful rest of your day thank you thanks a lot Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. See